0: It's good to be back home and with you. I uh, see Rachel there. Rachel was in our very first uh, ministry together, mine and Melissa. We taught sixth grade Sunday school as a very young, for some reason, you people thought we would be good at that. And we taught uh, sixth graders. And there is a rock that they got, a nice rock, not just a rock that they picked up, uh, a nice rock that they bought me when uh, Melissa and I moved to Texas. And uh, I still have that on my desk today, just to kind of Help me remember, and so it's a a marker for us for sure. And so thank you for having us back today. Thanks to Brother Philip and his uh, lovely family for inviting us. Um, So excited for the church, excited for him and his ministry, such a great guy. And so very much appreciate him giving me this opportunity. Uh, So this morning, I want us, though, to talk about Jesus because that's why we came. And so if you would, would you open up to Colossians chapter 1? Colossians chapter 1 is, if you're a new believer this morning, kind of new to church, that's in the New Testament, and so if you'll turn kind of towards the right-hand side of your Bible, start looking past the Gospels, you'll get to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then you'll find Colossians, and we're going to be in chapter 1. We we all have uh, the ability to describe those that are closest to us. If I asked you to describe your spouse, you would do a very, very good job of that. If I asked you to describe the person in your pew with you right now, you may do a pretty good, may lie some, but you would do a pretty good job with that. Um, but the further out of our friendship circle, the harder it is for us to describe somebody. Speaking of descriptions, a wife went to the police station with her next-door neighbor um, to report that her husband was missing. And so the policeman asked her for a description Of her husband, and she proceeded to say, Well, he's 35 years old, he's six foot four, he has dark, wavy hair, this very athletic build, he's soft spoken, 185 pounds, he's really good to our children. And the next door neighbor started looking at her, and finally she interrupted and she said, No, he's not. Your husband's five foot four, he's chubby, he's bald, and he's mean as a snake. And the wife said, Yeah, but who wants him back? (laughs) And so, <laughs> and so we describe those that are close to us in very intimate ways. And so how well we can describe a person is based off of our intimate knowledge of that, that person. And so I'm asking you this morning, if somebody, a friend this next week at work, maybe a relative or acquaintance came up and, and just lo and behold asked you, how do you describe Jesus? What would you say to that person? What would your description be? It's based off of our intimate knowledge of him. We have to define him. And we have to define him well in the culture and the society that we live in. Because we have a lot of different ideas of who Jesus is today. There's a lot of folks out there that say he's just a great philosopher. A lot of folks say he was a really good moral example. A lot of folks say he didn't even exist. A lot of folks will have these different descriptions of Jesus. So we have to be really solid in the ways that we describe him. And thankfully, the scriptures have given us a fantastic description in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. If you're a note taker this morning, I'm going to help you a little bit in taking some notes, but if you don't mind underlining in your Bible, I want you to underline every time we come to the two words, He is. He is, because here is the description of Jesus. As a matter of fact, it starts in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, and and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of the cross. And then finally, verse 21 and 22. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in, the, in his body of flesh by his death. That intimate knowledge in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So from this passage, we can learn how to describe more of our Savior. Verses 15, 17, and twice in 18, we have these he is statements that tell us exactly who Jesus is. And so let's take these one by one, work our way through these just really quickly. Uh, First of all, if you're keeping notes with me this morning, you can write down, he is the figure of the Father." He is the image of the invisible God, the figure of the Father. God reveals himself in two ways to us, through his word, which we're reading from this morning, and through the person of Jesus Christ. So if we want to know who God is, what God looks like, we can look no further than the word and the word made flesh, who is Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Jesus claimed this himself in John 14, 9, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. But that word image there, don't don't just think of the word image as a copy. Um, it, it's, it's more than that. In the Greek, the word image actually carries the, the idea of manifestation, the actual presence in. And so the Bible is very, very clear to us is that God is Jesus in the flesh. In other words, actual presence. He is the revelation of of God. So this sets Christianity apart for us. We don't worship a, a graven image. We don't worship an idol. We don't worship an unknowable God. We worship someone that we can know intimately and know who God is. So we worship the figure of the Father. Now, why is this important to us? There's many, many reasons. But it is very important to us for. For, to us to know who the Father is so that we can know what God is doing in us and through us. There was a young pastor who had a jail ministry. And so on Sunday, Saturday mornings, he would go to the, the jail and see the inmates. And he started this off, this ministry, and, and just kind of observing the different inmates that were in the jail. And he began to notice that a lot of the inmates were b- between the ages of 19 and 25. And he began to notice that most were in there for petty crimes, burglary, and things of that nature, just just really, really dumb stuff, evil stuff, yes, but dumb stuff also. And he began to wonder, how is it that these men chose these paths and ended up in this place? And so he went to the warden, who um, the warden had been there for a long time in the jail, and he began to ask him some questions about these young men. This is what the warden said. He said, this place is filled with boys who got tired of waiting on their dads to keep their promises, promises to provide, promises to show up, promises to come home at night. And these boys got so angry and tired of the injustice that they began to make dumb decisions and they did stupid things. They didn't know their dads, so they didn't know what to do. In Christianity, we can know the Father through Jesus. And because we can know him, we know what to do. His ways have been revealed to us. We can know the promises of God. We can know the ways of God. We can know the teachings of God. We know the care that God has for us. We know the love of God because we see it embodied in Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. But look at the second one. You'll find it in verse 17. He is before all things, and he holds things together. So I'm just going to phrase that. If you're keeping notes with me this morning, I'm just going to phrase it. He is the center of creation. He's the center of creation. The scriptures are clear. Since Jesus is over time and he's over creation, he controls it. He, He knows exactly what's going on, and he keeps things in order. And in the day and age that we live in, thankfully, we can hold to this truth because he's going to make things right one day. And we all know that we live in a world that needs to be made right. Because we uh, uh, have sinned and rebelled against God and his creation, lots of sin introduced into the world. We now live in a broken place. We are broken people. Me being the chief one in the room today, we are broken people. But thankfully, because Jesus has a plan, he is the beginning of it all, he has established a relationship with us so that one day all things will be made right. We, we look forward to a day, our hope is in a day when creation is made complete again, all things made perfect. Now, in this day and age, we, we have a period of time where where God is merciful towards us. He's patient, not wanting any to, to, uh, to die and not know him. He's wanting all to come to him, not any to perish. And so we have this day and age where we have the ability to come. But then one day, all made right, to where the lion and even the lamb will be at peace with one another and lay down with each other. The devouring lion, the, the little innocent lamb, that's the picture of what one day Jesus will do. He's the center of creation. Just being honest, it doesn't seem like that today, does it? But let's be honest, does it seem like Jesus is holding all things together? Because we look at the world we live in and we see school shootings left and right. We see injustices all around us. We have rumors of war nuclear war. We definitely have religious wars that are going on. And we look at this and go, Man, where is God in the center of all of this? And it makes us wonder. It makes us question a little bit at least. But we have to remember, God did not author chaos. He authored a cosmos and he is over it. One day all will be made right. I tell you, when this really came home to me, I was many years ago. I was driving to Fort Worth to seminary, and it was late on a Sunday evening. And I was on that stretch of I-30 in between Dallas and Fort Worth. Many, many of you have been there, and the Texas sun was setting in the west. And as I, as I was driving down the highway, I, I just looked up, and, and I saw all of these planes. And most of you know DFW International Airport is right there to the right as you're driving that stretch of highway. And I'm looking at all these planes in the sky, and some are way up there, and some are, are a little bit lower, and some pretty close to the ground. And, and some are landing, and some are taking off, and many going all sorts of different directions. And I'm looking at this picture, and I'm going, man, this, this looks like chaos. These planes are going to run into each other at some point. Who who keeps all of this together? And I remembered in the middle of that airport, there's a control tower. And in that control tower is all of the directives for those planes. In this world that we live in today, we look outside these doors, and from our perspective, it looks like chaos. But from Jesus' perspective, he is in control. Not wanting anyone to perish, he's giving us time. He is over all things. Then the third thing that we can see from this passage of Scripture in defining Jesus, you'll see it in verse 18. He is in charge of the church. He's the the head of the church, the head of the body. How can people know that Jesus is who he said he was? What is the best picture today of who Jesus is? It's the church. That's his plan for us to show the rest of the world today exactly who Jesus is. It's the church. As a matter of fact, that's his only plan. I work with the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. I serve on the evangelism and church health team. I serve with uh, Marcus Brown, he's down the hallway. I can't keep him out of my office. He's always asking me for advice and how to do things. I'm telling you, I just get so old having to pass wisdom on to Marcus Brown. Um, and you can tell him I said that. Um, and then I work down the hall from Dave McClung. That alone ought to scare you as Arkansas Baptist. Um, but Dave and, Dave and Marcus and I are there. And, and, and we are not the church. We serve the local church getting ready to do a big summer camp called Super Summer. We're going to two weeks this year in charge of that. That is not the church. We have evangelism conferences and we have revivals and we we go and we do training. It's not the church. The church, the local body, is the representation of who Jesus is. And the way scriptures describe it, a little bit here, but more in, in other places in the New Testament, is described as a body. And we all know this. If you've been in church any amount of time, you've heard this. Different people have different functions in the church. We all have different abilities. We all have different personalities. We all have different giftings. And, and we come together and we do our part much like a body does. But this is an interesting passage because Paul here uses specifically the terminology, Jesus is the head of the church. And I don't think that's just a, a glib statement. I, I don't think that's just him just kind of trying to describe. I think he's after something very specific here. So let's think about the head of the body. What happens in the head? My wife would say not much in his, but <laughs> but what, what happens up here? Well, the head houses the pituitary gland, the, the pituitary gland, which gives the growth hormone for the body to grow. The head regulates your very heartbeat. The head takes in all the sensory impulses from the rest of your your body members and organizes those and reacts and it reflexes. The head thinks and it controls. It houses so much of what we see, hear, touch, and feel, it processes our very heart. Everything happens in the head. And here it says that Jesus is the head of the church. So what does that mean for us? It means that he then is the one that causes us to grow. He then is the one that regulates our heartbeat, who we are as a church. He is our knowledge. He then coordinates every member's giftedness, brings it all together and makes it function in a very healthy way. He's the one that gives us our passion. So when people see the church, they should see Jesus. That's why this is important. That's why us gathering together on a Sunday morning, on Memorial Day weekend is so important because we live in a world that desperately needs to see an accurate picture of Jesus. Well, that's us. That's us. Adrian Rogers, the famous preacher, he tells the story of an elderly lady who decided to take a course in first aid, even in her older years. She thought, well, I'm getting older. I may need to know a little bit about how to take care of myself, so I'm going to take first aid. So she Went through this course, and after several weeks of learning and growing, they came to their very last class. And the instructor in this uh, first aid course decided it would be a good idea for them to have testimonials. He was going to go around the room and see who all had been able to utilize what they had learned in first aid. And so they were going around the room, and everybody was sharing. And Finally, it came to the elderly lady's turn, and she said, well, here's how I use my first aid. The other day, right in front of my house, there was an elderly gentleman who crashed his car into a very large tree. He was thrown out into the street. His skull was fractured. He had multiple fractures. He laid there in the street, and his life blood was pouring out. She said, but I I remembered my first aid. She said, I remembered that if I would put my head down in between my knees, I wouldn't faint in the middle of all this. That is not the purpose of first aid. She was supposed to engage, to help, to show what she had learned to others. Listen, that's the church today, y'all. In so many ways, we get together and we're, it's almost like we're tucking our head in between our legs just hoping that we don't pass out in the midst of all this mess. That's not what Jesus created us to do. Jesus describes us as overcomers of the world. He describes us as victorious. He has made us a missional unit to go out these doors to our workplaces, to our families, to our communities, and be a voice of healing. That's why we're here. So we've got to stop tucking and trying not to faint. We've got to get moving and give life to those that need to see him. Last one, you'll see it in verse 20. Let's see. No, verse 18, last part of verse 18. He is, if you're keeping notes with me, the rebirth. He is the rebirth. For everyone in the room, Christ died. He died for you. To take on your sin, your affliction, your problems, your brokenness. All of that junk that you carry. He died for you to take that upon himself. The scriptures describe it this way. He who knew no sin, Jesus perfect, became our sin, took on every flaw that we have. So that we might become the righteousness of God. This great exchange happens on the cross for those who believe that we would be able to place our sin in trust and faith on Jesus and what he did on the cross, and that he would give us his righteousness in return because we have placed our faith in him. He becomes our rebirth. So he entered this world of sinners as God in the flesh. He took the wrath and punishment upon himself. But this verse says that he lives... In resurrected life, the firstborn from the dead—that's an awesome, powerful statement. The firstborn from the dead, which means He offers this new existence to those who will believe in His death, burial, and resurrection—a new existence. All things become new through this all-powerful God who gave Himself in sacrifice on the cross. See, something is wrong in how creation relates to to God. We all recognize that in some way or the other. Maybe you've come into the room today and you recognize there is a problem in how I am relating to God. We are alienated according to what the scriptures say here. We are separated according to what we just read. But we know that he came to give us new life because he rose from the dead proving that he has all authority over sin and death, proving that he has all authority over life. When we place our belief in him, the scriptures are clear. He gives us new life. He gives us abundant life. Behold, all things become new. He is our rebirth because he is the firstborn from the dead and has the power and the authority. There was a business executive working hard, in his offices, long hours, lots going on in his company, and it was really weighing hard on him. He was becoming depressed, and so he would start carrying some of that at home to home at night. He'd come in five, six, seven o'clock to dinner, and he just couldn't get the weight of the world. Maybe you feel this today a little bit too. Couldn't get the weight of the world off of his shoulders, so he would come in and He would sit down with his wife and his little five-year-old daughter at dinner, barely say a word, and they would kind of want to talk about the day and, and try to engage in some conversation and he just, he was disengaged. They'd finish dinner, night after night, he would get up and he would go to his chair and he'd take out his iPad and he'd start flipping through the news, flipping through the social media. course, you know what that does. That just weighs you down even more these days. And so night after night, he does this real quiet off to himself until one evening, the little girl had her fill and she decided she was going to take matters into her own hands. And so one evening, she took her little hand and she pushed aside the iPad and she jumped up in her daddy's lap. And she threw her arms around his neck. And as much as she could muster with those little arms, she began to squeeze strongly. And the father, annoyed, abruptly said, honey, you're hugging me to death. And she said, no, daddy, I'm hugging you to life. She wanted him to feel the love so that he would come back around and engage in the relationship. Listen, that is what Jesus did for us when he came to earth, when he sought you and me, even in this place. He wants to love us to life. He is the rebirth. He brings life to those whom he loves, and he loves you. And so, yes, we have cares of the world. Yes, we have anxieties, but we can walk around in the newness of life because we have one whose love is greater than anything we can walk through on the face of this planet. So the question this morning, do you know him? Can you describe him this way? Do you have an intimate knowledge of Jesus? If you're Someone this morning who came into the church, and maybe you don't, I have good news for you. He's ready to meet you and to love you right where you are. But it could be that you're a believer, and you've walked into the room today, and you're weighed down with the cares and the anxieties. Man, you, you just can't shake it. Remember who Jesus is. He holds all things together. He is the giver of life. He is the head of this body of believers. He is the center of creation let's pray together and let's have an invitation time with your heads bowed and your eyes closed can you describe Jesus how well do you know him when you walk out these doors and engage your friends, your neighbors, your family are you able to stand up for the truth of who he is to the artist he's the one that's altogether lovely to the baker he is the living bread to the carpenter, he is the door. To the doctor, he is the great physician. To the educator, he's the great teacher. To the florist, he's the lily of the valley. To the geologist, he's the rock of ages. To the judge, he's the righteous judge of all. To the lawyer, he's the advocate. To the philosopher, he's the wisdom of God. To the preacher, he is the word of God. To the servant, he's the good master. To the sinner, the master. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. To the Christian, he is our living God. Father, this morning we are grateful for our time together. Grateful for your word, how good and rich it is. Pray, God, that there's somebody here that doesn't know you this morning. That during this invitation time, as we sing a song of response, that they would come forward. There are men in this room that would love to introduce them to exactly who you are. Walk through what it means to be a child of God, to have that sweet salvation life. For the believer that's in the room weighed down, God, would you lift their cares and anxieties? Would you show them, remind them again who they are so that they can go out and engage this world with healing, with words of life, with joy, because you reign on the throne. You're our Lord and Savior. We give you this time in Jesus' name. We all prayed and said, Amen.